Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Getting ready to represent Christ to your world today. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. This is the day. Good morning, good morning, good morning. This is the day. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day. Today will be the day that some people will be transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Like this will be the day of salvation for many people around the world. This could be the day of salvation for you if you know not. Uh, a reconciled relationship with the Father through the Son by the power of the Spirit. I mean, this could be that day. This could be that day for um, someone for whom you have been praying for a lifetime. Like, this is the day. This is the day the Lord has made. This is a day of rejoicing. This is a day of grace. Um, And yes, this is a day of brokenness and um, destruction, human depravity writ large. Um, This is... This may be the day of death um, for some. The question then is, will it also be for them the day of newness of life? And that sort of gets back to the, this could be the day of salvation. So today, let's talk about today. Who are you going to be today? How are you going to live today? As you go uh, on your way through the world, um, what are you going to do? What spirit... uh, will be operating in and through you in this day. We talked about operating in the opposite spirit with Dave Brewing on Monday, and I still have that ringing in my head. Uh, We have a choice in in every moment, in every interaction, to operate in, uh, in the spirit of the world, the spirit that's operating in the world, or to operate in the opposite spirit, in the spirit of Christ, operating by the mind of Christ in the matters of the day. Um bringing the gospel to bear on every situation, bringing God into every conversation. And, you know, that's who I want to be. So who do you want to be today? And what does it look like to put first things first in our lives? And then I've been um, provoked to ask, actually, by a number of, uh, of people, did you write it down? The power of writing it down. Um, and so I wrote it down. So here's what I wrote down this morning <clears throat> in terms of my commitment for today. I will be attentive to first things first, God's presence, God's redemptive power, God's spirit working in and through me. I will not be conformed to this world. I will operate out of the opposite spirit. I will see people for who they really are, image bearers of the living God, whether they know it or not and whether they act like it or not. I will live into my identity and calling as an ambassador of the king and the kingdom in the midst of the kingdoms of this world, and I will be a living demonstration of the gospel by which I have been set free. So there you go. What are your first things first? Who are you? Uh, Who are you going to be today? How are you going to live today? As you go, what are you going to do? And in what spirit will you do it? What are the first things first on your list? Take a minute to write them down. I got John Brandon up next. He's the author of Seven Minute Solution. He is also the digital media director here at Northwestern Media. We'll be right back. 
All right, joining me now, John Brandon. He is the uh, director of digital media here at Northwestern Media. He's also the author of Seven Minute Solution. You can find him at sevenminutesolution.com. Uh, all right, John. Hey, welcome back. Yeah, great to be here. Okay, something um, I'll just go ahead and confess. I didn't know anything about until I read your piece at Forbes.com. Uh, apparently, Peloton has a problem, and some people have a problem with Peloton. Yeah, yeah, uh, and good job pronouncing that. I tend to kind of pronounce it wrong, like Peloton or something like that. Uh, yeah, I, I've actually tested uh, this treadmill device in my in my basement, and so the story is really about how there's been a recall, and there was an opportunity to do a recall a little while ago, and they decided not to. Um, I think they must have gotten a lot of pushback about it. Uh, the treadmill is so massive, and it has so many adjustments and can go up and down and go at an incline. And apparently that's been a safety hazard for uh, particularly little kids and pets. Uh, but what surprised me, as usual, is the Twitterverse reaction to this. And I, as you know, for Forbes, I cover social media and technology and innovation. Um I'm kind of amazed by it because I thought they would say, you know, good job, Peloton. Uh, you know, you recalled this device. It's a safety hazard. Instead, they're kind of saying, ah, whatever, you know, I still want to run on my exercise treadmill and uh, no big deal. So that that surprised me because I thought that they would just support the company and say, let's let's just get these replaced or whatever we, we need to do. Um, and it just made me think of a lot of different political implications of it. And uh, I'm, I'm sure maybe you'd, you'd like to chat about that angle. But uh, from a technology standpoint, I'm all for fixing things and making them right. Send them back, get them fixed. Let's figure out how to make it so it's not a safety hazard. The uh, the Twitterverse, um, you note, uh, took an, took a few interesting turns. Um, one, instead of applauding Peloton for recalling the uh, Tread and Tread and Tread Plus products um, for safety concerns, the Twitterverse uh, said, um, "Hey, uh, parents need to be more responsible." Now, right. what you what you didn't point out that I would point out, but, you know, you were writing this on Forbes and I would have been writing this at Reconnect with Carmen. Um, I would point out there that in a culture where children are a choice and where children are a commodity, there is really no value difference from a person who um, has a has a treadmill for their own convenience and bought it as a consumer product. And and that same person who views the fact that someone else has a small child as a consumer product. You see, here's the this is this is the challenge in the culture. People don't necessarily view the child as more valuable than the treadmill. Right. And and this gets into kind of the the product excel, itself has been very life-changing for people and I get that, you know, they're exercising, their their life has changed, you know, because they're using this product that's very very effective. The thing that maybe people don't realize is it's not even the product itself that's so uh, viable. It's the fact that you're attending this live cr class and there's like accountability and you're with other people. You actually sort of get to know. There was a Saturday Night Live skit about this a few weeks ago where you kind of get to know the person who's coaching you. Um, but I, I take your similar approach to this. You know, it is just yet another product in the home. It's kind of like we get attached to our iPhone or our Android as well. Um, but it is just kind of this 
mechanical, you know, piece of equipment that we're using in our home. Um, the other thing is that, you know, maybe you're going to send it back and you're going to get a new one a few weeks later. The weather's nice. Might as well go outside and, and just go for a run outside for a while instead. But they have turned it into a social activity where people feel like they're running with someone else via that virtual screen and they're running in a really beautiful place. They're not running down the city streets where they live yeah, by and, themselves. And during the pandemic, it's it's been, you know, they've been selling like hotcakes uh, because people are stuck at home. And, you know, I, I get all those angles. I, I just as a technologist and someone who's actually tested the product, it's actually really cool. But it is just a treadmill, you know. I mean, there's kind of this stigma that we attach to it. And like the iPhone is this glowing aura of uh, gadgetry. Um, but it's it's a phone, you know. It, it, it has social media apps on it and it's nice and handy. But um, I'm so I'm kind of one of these people that I see the value of technology. I see the value of these devices. They can be life changing. But to your point, can they be as life-changing as actually having kids and raising kids or marriage or some of these other topics? I just see them as tools. Let's replace the tool. Let's get a different one. Let's make sure it can't, you know, lower down to the ground and, and hurt people. Uh, and and I'm, I'm just all for that kind of thing. That To me, that's innovation, by the way. You know, innovation is kind of a continual... Uh, adjustment of technology to make it work better in our lives. It's it's not just, you know, oh, wow, this is cool. It's a continual improvement. And I think that's what Peloton is really doing in this with this recall. All right, I'm going to continue my conversation with John Brandon here in just a moment. We're going to talk about Zoom fatigue and what's really behind it. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, John Brandon and I continuing our conversation. Um, John, let's talk about Zoom fatigue. We, we talked about this a few weeks ago um, when you were on, but you're taking a different angle here. Yeah, and, and honestly, I'm just glad we're not talking about exercise anymore because it was kind of tiring <laughs> me out. But uh, this is a topic that I've covered, and I, and I really feel like I've learned a lot about this area. It's really about emotional intelligence and empathy. And uh, when we're communicating online, there's just a different dynamic. So you're not in the room with me. I can't see your body language. I can't really see, you know, if you're rolling your eyes off screen or something like that. Um, and, And all of those connections that we have over Zoom or Microsoft Teams or whatever it is, it actually creates this sense of fatigue because we're not getting that feedback all the time. And so I, I heard about this concept, and it's, it's kind of really specific, but it, it kind of was eye-opening to me, no pun intended, uh, that whenever we're having a Zoom call or whatever it is, a video chat of some kind, it's actually impossible to have eye contact. And that creates f- Zoom fatigue because we need that kind of relational feedback from people. And the, the reason you can't have eye contact is kind of technical, but the typically the camera is located in a separate pr- place from the screen. It's usually up above or on some laptops that might be down below. So you can either look at the web camera and show eye can- contact to someone, or you can look at the screen. And so both people are not having eye contact when they're having these video chats. 
And uh, I have to credit the guy who actually mentioned this. He's the creator of emotional intelligence, or he popularized emotional intelligence. His name is Daniel Goleman, and he wrote a book about it. He created EQ. Uh, He's a really, really smart guy, but he pointed this out on a podcast. And what his main point was really interesting to me because it's not just a few different chats here and there. It's more like when we've been doing it for a few months or a year or even longer and uh, what happens is every single time we're doing these chats, we don't have eye contact. And so then we get this sense of fatigue because we're not getting that emotional feedback from someone. We don't think they're really totally paying attention to what we're saying during some of these calls. All right. And then translate that to the experience that kids have had um, in online doing like trying to do school online. <laughs> Yeah. Because I, I now they're being trained to not look us in the eye. Like I, we were already having a problem with, you know, like teenagers not wanting to make eye contact. Now we're training them to not make eye contact. Yeah, there's a really funny uh, YouTube about this, and I can maybe share the link on my Twitter feed. It's uh, JM Brandon BB later, um, where some kids, the, the teacher wasn't on the call. And so all the kids were talking to each other and like, what happened to the teacher and um, you know, we kind of do what we can do. Uh, I, I do kind of have some concerns about kids who have been, you know, for the last year doing school over online and kind of the implications of not having a real person around them. Obviously their parents are, but not their classmates sometimes, not their teacher. We need those, uh, we need to be in the same room sometimes. Uh, Carmen, there's a, there's a kind of a surprising trend now. The, the big tech companies all said that, you know, like Google and Microsoft and Amazon about a year ago, they're like, yep, everybody is probably going to re- work remote forever now. And it's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, this is what we're going to do. And we've just created this infrastructure for people to work remote. Just recently, they've all started saying, eh, never mind. We actually need you to come back into the office. Uh, because, and the reason is because just the collaboration that happens and the physical uh, interactions, you know, in a, in a meeting where you can see someone's body language. Uh, I don't know if you've experienced this, Carmen, too, but I just had a meeting the other day where I just grabbed a marker and, a, and, a, and I went to a whiteboard and grabbed a few people. And it's like, you just can't do that when you're online. Uh, that sense of collaboration and kind of communicating and brainstorming with each other. Yeah, it's completely different. It's, yeah. it's definitely different. Um, all right, um, let's talk about uh, Clubhouse. Apparently, Clubhouse is now available on Android. First of all, why should we care? And then <laughs> I thought the David French piece on this, his experience of joining a Clubhouse session with his haters was really interesting. Yeah, this reminds me of a. I actually did a chat with another author named Kevin Roos, uh, not to be confused with Kevin Rose. Uh, that started the Dig app. But uh, Kevin and Roos uh, wrote a book called Future Proof. He talks about all these concepts. And um, Clubhouse is an, is an interactive uh, podcasting platform. It's, it's meant to um, kind of, in some ways, augment podcasts or even what we're doing right now. But uh, Kevin and Roos, um, really smart guy, he writes for the New York Times, uh, the, the thing about Clubhouse is that he he's comment how, commented before about how it's kind of impossible to troll people 
uh, on Clubhouse because it's just live and it's in audio and you can't, you know, post some, you can't even post anything, any text. It's just you talking to other people. And I think that's what happened uh, uh, in this incident as well, where, uh, you know, this this guy just kind of dropped in on his own uh, interactive uh, chat. And I think everyone was surprised by that. But um, I I would have to say with Clubhouse, if you haven't tried it, I like it because it's real, even though the conversation that he had was maybe a, obviously kind of negative, but it sounds like he was able to defend himself. And then honestly, when people were criticizing him, and talking about them, they had to say it live in a public forum. They couldn't hide behind a keyboard. Um, and so that's one of the advantages with Clubhouse is that it's kind of different. It's called social audio instead of social media. And what it means is that it's just you, you can't really hide. It's, it's something that's just live and, and kind of uh, who you are as a person and however you talk is going to come through uh, in the chat. So um, David French talks about you know his experience of getting a direct message from a friend while he was cleaning the kitchen, saying, "Hey, you're uh, you're the topic of um, uh, of a clubhouse um, conversation," um, and in it, I mean, uh, you know, the, the clubhouse conversation is David French based or cringe. And I, uh, like David, would have had to have looked up what uh, sort of the urban dictionary definition of based is. And so I just there there's a lot to learn here. It's kind of impossible for all of us to sort of stay up to speed on what's going on um, out there in the digital world. I don't you know, can can I take on one more social media platform? (laughs) Can I even do that? I I would kind of hope maybe it replaces one or two, you know, like I said before, maybe Twitter is a little bit too volatile for me right now and and people are kind of crabby too often. Um, I I like Clubhouse because if they're crabby, it comes through right on in in the audio chat and then you can kind of talk about it and and maybe even resolve it. Um, But I do feel your pain. I, I have too many apps on my phone. Um, also, uh, bad news on this front, Carmen, is that uh, Facebook is preparing a similar app called Hotline. Mm. Twitter has one called Spaces. Uh, there's more and more of these apps coming out. So it's actually a huge trend. I would love to do a clubhouse with you sometime. I think that would be a fun experiment. Well, I have an Android, so I guess it's now possible. <laughs> right. I don't know. Send me an invite. However it works, <laughs> we'll try it out. Yep. No um, excuse Hey, anymore. I just want to... I just want to affirm you, Jim from Simsbury, Connecticut, says, I am totally loving. I love his totally relaxed way of talking. <laughs> yes. And I, then affirms I, that we have some really brilliant guests kind of every day <laughs> and that he's loving it. So there you go. Welcome to the uh, brilliant everyday guest uh, category here on Mornings with Carmen. Awesome. Yep. I, yeah. I love thanks doing for, it. Thanks for bringing, um, yeah, the totally relaxed to a show that is not. <laughs> Hey, we appreciate you. That's John Brandon. You can find him on Twitter, even though apparently he doesn't really like that platform. You can find him at Forbes.com. You can find him um, at 7MinuteSolution.com. He is the director of digital media here at Northwestern. Hey, thanks, man. So my grandkids are currently doing, you know, the ankle bones connected to the leg bone, the leg bone connected to the hip bone, the hip bone. I don't really know what that's connected to. The backbone, the backbone connected to the neck bone, the neck bone connected, yeah, to the skull. I don't know. I don't know how the song totally goes, but it is a song about connectivity. 
Um, you can't actually live as an utterly disconnected person and live the life that uh, God really gave us by his grace. And so we're going to talk about the desire that we have to change the world um, and and how we could get over the obstacles that are preventing us from getting involved and being connected with other people to accomplish great things together. Uh, when We Stand is the book, and Terrence Lester is the author. He's going to join me next. God is the God who gives endurance and encouragement. This is Max Locato. God encourages us. So does Jesus. Jesus called the Holy Spirit, parakletos, the noun form of the very word for encouragement. Scripture encourages us. The scriptures, according to Romans 15, 4, were written to teach and encourage us by giving us hope. The saints in heaven encourage us. Hebrews 12, 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. A crowd of witnesses applauds from the heavens, calling on us to finish strong. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Scriptures, the saints, God places a premium on encouragement. This is Max Locato, and this is How Happiness Happens. All right, my, uh, my best introduction for Terrence Lester is here's a guy who's not just thinking about doing it or talking about doing it or writing about doing it. Here's a guy who's actually doing it. Uh, Terrence Lester is uh, a minister, a speaker. He's a community activist. He's an author. He's the founder of Love Beyond Walls. We have talked with him um, about prior books that he has written, including I See You. Um, and we have talked with him about Love Sinks In, which is one of his campaigns on behalf of the poor. Thrilled to have Terrence Lester back today to talk about his newest book, When We Stand. Terrence, welcome back. Hey, uh, it's great to be back. Great to be with your, your audience and have another discussion. How are you? Yeah, so uh, I'm, I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm, uh, you know, I'm trying, I'm trying to be more like you. There you go. Um, so, which is the, to not just be talking about it or thinking about it, but doing it. And that's what I want to talk uh, with you about today. So we'd love an update. Give us an update. Remind people what Love Sinks In is all about. And then give us an update because this is a really good news story. Yeah, sure. So last year when the pandemic first uh, started, we uh, had to pivot quick as an organization and we started placing hand washing stations in the city of Atlanta. We started with about five. We grew to 50. And now we are in 57 cities with over 70 partners uh, providing sanitation for people without an address to have access to uh, basic sanitation like soap, water, and uh, hygiene items to keep themselves uh, protected from the spread and contraction of COVID-19. Uh, we've also extended the project to two additional countries, which is Canada and also Australia. It is um, it's extraordinary as an example of recognizing a primary need that a neighbor has and figuring out how to um, you know help an individual live in in a more healthy and dignified um, and self-sufficient way in the midst of uh, of a world that maybe does not always see and understand the concerns of the poor. 
Right. Um, and that's why I talk so much about proximity. Um, we often quote uh, the scripture of, you know, we're called to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Uh, well, my, you know, point to that is we're also called to love the neighborhood that the neighbor emerges from and be concerned with the issues that that neighborhood may be facing. So we have to love the to the to the whole neighbor as opposed to just uh, parts of a neighbor. And the only way that we do that is by getting close and proximate. Uh, when I talk about proximity, I'm talking about understanding people's hopes and fears and dreams and aspirations, but also their shortcomings and their gaps and their needs. Um, we have a quote in our lobby in our center that says, you can never meet the needs of people that you've never met. And that still rings true today. You can never meet the needs of people you have never met. Um, the conversation about getting proximate, loving neighbor, loving neighborhood. I think all of that is foundational to the conversation we're going to have today, which is um, about your brand new book, When We Stand. Talk about the um, this is this is kind of a next step book. But it also goes back and lays the groundwork of uh, of how I began to not only see the need, but begin to um, knit myself to others in such a way that together we could meet it. Yeah. Uh, one of the hard truths that we all wrestle with today is that uh, in the palm of our hands from a cell phone, uh, we can access content from all around the globe. And we can encounter injustices, problems going on in the world, the gas shortage. I mean, you name it. And all of that feels overwhelming for an individual. You know, I remember times when I learned of something tragic happening in society and I was all alone and I didn't know how to process that. Well, there are so many people that are are wanting to get involved, wanting to contribute wanting to make a difference, but they just don't know how. And what this book is doing is showing people that in community, as a body, when you're connected with others, when you offer up the, the, the small piece that you may have in connection with other pieces that other people are contributing, that's how we create the type of change that we wish to see. This book is all about coming together. I mean, if the pandemic has taught us anything, is that together we go forward. Together we solve issues. Together we lament with one another. Together is how we literally uh, honor and glorify God uh, who is wanting us to be lovers of him and also lovers of our neighbors. And so to address any systemic issue or any issue that is plaguing community, you have to be in community with other people doing that work. You can't do it alone. Um, I, I know um, that we resist that, and um, you know we might have just become really, really comfortable in uh, in the bubble or the silo or the disconnected place, you know, where we live. And our own comfort is really of greater concern to us than the discomfort that we see in the lives of others. Just, just talk about you know sort of where you start this conversation, which is to get out of our bubble. Yeah, I remember uh, I was writing the chapter uh, actually called Get Out of Your Bubble um, about a is a private school that is lodged in a neighborhood um, and uh, surrounding the neighborhood is 
there's a food desert and uh, all of these issues. And the community was just like in this bubble and the principal wanted me to come and give a, 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 a talk about uh, living outside of the bubble and realizing that there, the world is much bigger uh, and spacious outside of the things that they were around on a daily basis. And I think what the principal was trying to communicate was that the way that we really embody community, the way that we strengthen community, the way that we move forward as a whole community is that we have to be connected uh, to other people. I mean, you think about the number of people right now who have been in their bubbles, but they're also they've also been suffering in their bubbles because of the lack of community. Um, loneliness has festered. Um, concern with the, the world has, uh, you know, increased. And all of these concerns are there sitting with a person who desperately needs to be connected to the community around them. You get life from community. You get accountability from community. You get a chance to dream in community. You get a chance to be supported in community. But greater than that, you get a chance to connect with other people to make a real difference in the world. It's all about community. What I do for you, I'm also doing for myself. Isn't that the message um, that we should be standing on right now in, the, in a moment in time like this? Well, no doubt. And um, I, I think that you're, first of all, you're not just inviting people um, or telling people to go and do something that you are not yourself doing. And one question that I would have for you, and, I, you know, chapter two is make more time. But there, there is this there is this question about people like you who get so much done. You get so much done. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that would never get one book written, let alone basically, I don't know, you seem to be on track to be writing one a year. Um, and and people have maybe a really good idea about uh, addressing a particular need or concern in their community or in the larger world. But you actually, you know, got it done and are getting it done and it's multiplying and it's and it's being scaled. And not only that, you know, in the midst of all of that, you um, you opened the Dignity Museum. And in addition to that, you know, you're leading people in your own community and inspiring people in other communities to actually, you know, like get out there and engage. Um, so talk with us about I mean, and everybody has exactly the same number of minutes and hours in a day. Um, we don't all get the same number of days, but we ought to be making more of the days that we do get. Talk about making more time. Yeah, I think one of the greatest threats and enemies to us making a difference in the world is not having enough margin. Um, the lack of margin itself is uh, keeping people who are willing um, to make a difference and be connected with other people, but it's keeping them from being available. And it's the conversation about willingness versus av availability. And one of the things that I had to do early on is really sit with, am I doing the things, uh, am I doing things in my life just to keep me busy? Am I doing things that are actually productive? Am I doing things that have eternal value or am I just filling my calendar with events uh, to keep me busy, to distract me from something uh, that I may be running from? And this is just me personally. Um, and I had to make some hard decisions. Uh, yes, 
you know, I get a chance. I, I don't get a chance to do a lot of the things that I would want to do, but I'm getting a chance to do things that make me uh, bring me joy, bring me peace. And they uh, speak to the purpose of why I'm living um, and following the, the mission of God. I think also uh, one of the things that uh, people have to ask themselves when they look at the plate of their lives, they need to ask themselves, like, is anything on my plate that needs to be removed that's keeping me from creating the type of rhythmic uh, service lifestyle in my life that can honor and glorify God? Uh, another thing, too, is I don't view service as, you know, the checkbox list uh, itemized thing that I put on the calendar. I view service as a lifestyle. Service is not an event. Service can happen uh, in in the middle of where you live, work, and play. So I'm always living with uh, the the mindset and mentality of, you know, can I serve wherever I am? Um, I think oftentimes people also think that you have to be like some professional uh, minister or like a person in a in a high position or anything like that. I, I push back against that idea because. The only questions I've ever asked was how can I show up with what I have wherever I am? All right. We're talking with Terrence Lester. Um, We are talking about his new book, When We Stand. Um, You can find Terrence online at terrencelester.org, lovebeyondwalls.org. And we're going to continue our conversation in just a moment. Today, I'm hungry and I'm ready for change. I run to still be the same. Continuing my conversation with Terrence Lester, I um, encourage you to check out When We Stand, his newest book, also everything he's doing, TerrenceLester.org. Um, talk with us, Terrence, about unlearning. Um, I'm, I'm thinking here about uh, the chapter on being brave and the conversation about unlearning. Yeah, um, I think one of the things that is so essential in our coming together, uh, healing any type of divides as well as entering in community um, and not just like monolithic communities, but like very diverse communities that uh, speaks to all of the diversity of God's creation has to come with asking ourselves, what have I learned Um, that may not be true about my neighbor, that may be even keeping me from extending God's love to that neighbor. And I think it's a a process that we all undergo uh, that causes us to do some deep introspection, but also sitting with other people with stories that may be different from ours and really leaning in and listening uh, with an open ear. I think one of the, the reasons why we haven't been able to stand together and be together and have this type of uh, harmonious relationship across communities is, is because sometimes we continue to hold on to things that uh, may not be true of the very people that we're supposed to enter into community with. Um, and that's, that, that's huge for us. We need to unlearn some things. So I uh, had the privilege of, uh, of serving in downtown Orlando a number of years ago, 20 years ago now, and was um, 
had a friend who was very, very engaged in a ministry with the homeless community. And that's when I learned that just because somebody doesn't have an address does not mean they don't know the gospel. And so many ministries related to people without an address are focused on evangelism. It might be the most highly evangelized uh, people group in the world, uh, American uh, people without addresses. Like those people, man, the gospel is delivered to them uh, frequently, um, at least in terms yes. of, you know, you know, and so that was a that was something that I learned that I needed to unlearn this assumption that because mm. a person doesn't have an address, they don't know the gospel and they don't know Jesus. That's just not true. Right. It's 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 so important for us uh, to be proximate. I, I'll never forget. Uh, we were underneath the bridge. It was probably at the height of the pandemic. And uh, we had a few volunteers, obviously socially distant with masks on and, uh, you know, you know, really Christian. And there was this guy, his name was Reverend Walter. Uh, They didn't know that he was a reverend, Uh, but they were trying to do this very thing uh, (laughs) and like evangelize him, not even knowing that he had been a pastor before uh, he had preached sermons. He he literally gave them a seminary class right up underneath the bridge. And I think it's oftentimes this assumption that just because you have less, that you may have less morals, less character, less faith, etc. But that's not always the case. And I, that's why I love Jesus so much, because he never looked at people's outer appearance. He looked at uh, the uh, inherent dignity that every single person had that he had encountered. And that's how we need to approach uh, even entering in conversations and even challenge our challenging our uh, own false assumptions about what we think about people. We need to ask ourselves, are we really starting with uh, the inherent dignity and worth that every single person possesses? Uh, it's a, it's an excellent uh, conversation tool. It's an excellent tool to help me see myself and my neighbor um, and to get me unstuck, as you also like to say in other places at other times. The questions for reflection and discussion at the end of this book are um, are really excellent as well. So the book is When We Stand. Terrence Lester is the author. Um, encourage you guys to uh, to not just check it out, but to live into loving neighbor um, go ahead, live intentionally, bring somebody with you, maximize your input. That is all in uh, in this book. It's super duper practical. Terrence, thank you so much for joining us today and for what, not just what you're doing every single day, but the way you're doing it. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. That's Terrence Lester. Uh, you can find him online, terrencelester.org. We'll be right back. All right, here's a good news headline that you're probably not going to read in the headlines. Uh, Last night, the first refugee resettled to Tulsa in eight months um, arrived. He is a brother in Christ uh, from Myanmar, and um, a Christian uh, group of fellow believers was there not only to receive him, but to help him integrate into, um, into community. So... It's beginning, and I want to say hallelujah. Um, so refugees are, in many cases, our brothers and sisters around the world living in circumstances um, that defy our imagination as people who live 
with religious freedom here in the United States. So let's be praying for them. Let's be ready to receive them. If you're not already engaged in refugee resettlement in your community, let me encourage you um, to get involved. There's all the resources that you would need to do so at World Relief. Um, all right, friends, uh, let, let us be people who get proximate today to other people in order that we might not only know our neighbors, but love them. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.